Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. They're playing for time to avoid shelling out hundreds of millions to defend all those trials. We've got that story plus global climate emergencies. But first, we begin again in Israel, September 11th, January 6th, now October 7. Testimonies reveal Israel's military shelling Israeli citizens. This big-time report from thegrayzone.com. Israel's military received orders to shell Israeli homes and even their own bases as they were overwhelmed by Hamas militants on October 7th. How many Israeli citizens said to have been burned alive were actually killed by so-called friendly fire? Several new testimony by Israeli witnesses to the October 7 Hamas surprise attack on southern Israel adds to the growing evidence that the Israeli military killed its own citizens as they fought to neutralize Palestinian gunmen. Tuval Escapa, a member of the security team for Kibbutz Ba'iri, set up a hotline to coordinate between Kibbutz residents and the Israeli army. He told the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that as desperation began to set in, quote, the commanders in the field made difficult decisions, including shelling houses on their occupants in order to eliminate the terrorists along with the hostages, end quote. A separate report published in Haaretz noted that the Israel military was compelled to request an aerial strike against its own facility inside the Erez crossing to Gaza in order to repulse the terrorists who had seized control. That base was filled with Israeli civil administration officers and soldiers at the time. These reports indicate that orders came down from the military's high command to attack homes and other areas inside Israel, even at the cost of many Israeli lives. An Israeli woman named Yasmin Porat confirmed in an interview with Israel Radio that the military undoubtedly killed numerous Israeli non-combatants during gun battles with Hamas militants on October 7. Quote, they eliminated everyone, including the hostages, she stated, referring to Israeli special forces. The mounting evidence of friendly fire orders handed down by Israeli army commanders strongly suggests that at least some of the most jarring images of charred Israeli corpses, Israeli homes reduced to rubble, beheaded babies, and burned out hulks of vehicles presented to Western media were in fact the handiwork of tank crews and helicopter pilots blanketing Israeli territory with shells, cannon fire, and indeed hell fire missiles. Indeed, it appears that October 7, Israel's military resorted to the same tactics it has employed against civilians in Gaza, driving up the death toll of its own civilians with the indiscriminate use of heavy weapons. More great work from our buddy Ryan Christian at The Last American Vagabond. Evidence shows Israel killed its own citizens on the 7th and 53 United Nations staff and journalists deliberately killed. James, it turns out, and this was, this was news to me, that this false flaggy move has a name. The Hannibal Directive. What was a controversial procedure used by Israeli defense forces to prevent the capture of Israeli soldiers by enemy forces? At one time, the formulation was that the kidnapping must be stopped by all means, even at the price of striking and harming our own forces. In related fast food nation slow kill news, McDonald's donating thousands of free meals to IDF and Israeli citizens after Hamas attacks, which earned it the cover spot as my cover art on this morning's morning show. Kosher Clowns supersize Semitic combo meal as we laugh to not cry. James. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the follow-up to that, but uh, this was posted up to Zero Hedge. Pro-Palestinian activists throw box of live rats into British McDonald's and... 
If for nothing else, for people who are interested in the popcorn drama of the alt media, it's interesting to watch Zero Hedge, which is posting a lot of, uh, if not outright pro-Israeli stuff, at least stuff that is certainly not anti-Israeli, and uh, seeing the uh, reaction from the commenters, who I think are not on board with Zero Hedge's editorial policy on that, but that's perhaps neither here nor there in the bigger picture, and perhaps neither here nor there in the bigger picture also is Wired doing the hard-hitting investigative reporting on this, how Telegram became a terrifying weapon in the Israel-Hamas war. Won't somebody censor the internet, of course, is the cry that we hear throughout every generated crisis these days. Um, but perhaps there are maybe bigger um, geopolitical ramifications to what is quickly becoming uh, a potential flashpoint for a much, much broader conflict. And as always, I will just remind the listeners, this is not a live show, so whatever the breaking news headlines are when you are watching this, it will be new to us uh, here sitting in the past, as evidenced by the uh, the game playing out on your screen there, uh, James. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, um, but some of the headlines that I think are interesting to to look at some of the broader reaction of what's going on right now. Um, for example, um, Politico, Netanyahu may not last, Biden and aides increasingly believe. Well, yeah, uh, uh, you think so? You think that this might have some political ramifications within Israel? Well, I think it will. Uh, but what, what about the broader geopolitical consequences? Well, uh, for example, this from Bloomberg, Latin America's leftist leaders recall Israel ambassadors over its war with Hamas. So we have that reaction, and then we have this reaction, which, if you just read the first part of the, the, the headline in the story, hey, sounds great, Czech DM, defense minister, calls to exit UN, yay, for supporting Hamas, warns Holocaust is back. <laughs> yes, exactly, it's another Shoah. Um, so, uh, the, yay, they're actually calling for an exit to the UN, which is, I think, really one of the most important things that we should all be advocating for in every single country around the world right now as the UN slash WHO global government behemoth is coming into view. This one, maybe for the wrong reasons, but hey, if Czech does, the Czech Republic does leave the UN, I guess it would be a win, regardless of the reasons. Anyway, um, yes. For those who aren't paying attention, October 7th is apparently now entering the lexicon as the new 9-11, or January 6th, which was the new 9-11, <laughs> until October 7th, apparently. Um, and more evidence of that, and it's strong emotional power. This is the catalyzing catastrophic event. Members of Israel's Knesset left in tears and shock after viewing IDF video of Hamas atrocities. Here, look at this, look at this, look at this atrocity, look at this. Aren't you, doesn't this make you sick and disgusted? Doesn't this make you angry? It's like showing you the towers every five minutes for weeks, months, years after 9-11. Um, so same same deal. And uh, I, I think a good summary from uh, Mark Crispin Miller, who I know you've been citing a lot on Morning Monarchy, Netanyahu's two genocides talking about how the is well uh, as he says in the sub subhead here israelis know that he let hamas slaughter them in furtherance of the vast depopulation effort started by the vaccination drive dictated by his globalist cohorts so i think that's a pretty good summary of the situation anyway obviously a developing breaking story and there's going to be more that's going to happen in the next 24 hours but um let's let's keep our eye on it this is this is Potentially, um, as I say, much, 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 much bigger conflict. At any rate, it is the flashpoint for future conflicts.
I was visiting family in West Virginia, and there were some that are you know, just repeating the lines I know they're getting from CNN and MSNBC. It's uh, an ideology of hate. They hate the Israel. They want to wipe Israel off. They use these same sort of talking points again and again and again. I will tell you, though, James, they were asking for, as I was showing them, NewWorldNextWeek.com, and they saw the history of Al-Qaeda DVD, they are requesting the history of Hamas. So if, if you can... If you can get on that, the, the the normies in my family would very much appreciate that. And I would appreciate that for them as well. Noted and logged. <laughs> All right. That's our first story on this New World Next Week, episode 533. We move to the aforementioned United Nations for our second story. As 200-plus health journals call on the United Nations and the World Health Organization to recognize climate change as a global health emergency. From the British Medical Journal, published 25 October 2023, over 200 health journals call on the United Nations, political leaders, and health professionals to recognize that climate change and biodiversity loss are one indivisible crisis and must be tackled together to preserve health and avoid catastrophe. This overall environmental crisis is now so severe as to be a global health emergency. Human health is damaged directly by both the climate crisis, as the journals have described in previous editorials, and the nature crisis. The World Health Organization should declare the indivisible climate and nature crisis as a global health emergency. So the three preconditions for this sort of designation for the World Health Organization to declare a situation to be a public health emergency of international concern are that it is serious, sudden, unusual, or unexpected, carries implications for public health beyond the affected state's national border, and may require immediate international action. Climate change seems to fulfill all those conditions. We must recognize this crisis for what it is, a global health emergency. This, this is, is extremely dangerous, dangerous to, to our, our democracy. democracy. As the Weather Channel reports at weather.com, world's biggest journals join forces, demand climate crisis be declared global public health emergency, even though, James, I know you've known this and reported on this, that the original founders of the Weather Channel and Greenpeace are both on record saying this is a technocrat scam. I, I am paraphrasing, of course, James. Yes, good call. And so let's let's document that for people who don't know about that. Um, we could flash people back to the AP News obituary headline from John, John Coleman, uh, co-founder of the Weather Channel, when he died a few years ago. Weather Channel co-founder dies. Colon, uh, semicolon, doubted climate science. Wow, what a what a stirring tribute. So anyway, um, yes, there we'll put that on the record. Uh, I hesitate to put Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace, on the record because people might remember his infamous video where he now shills GMO and other monstrosities. And there was the interviewer who, interviewer who challenged him. Oh, you say glyphosate is good as mother's milk and totally safe? I've got a glass. Do you want to drink it? <laughs> and he said, don't be stupid. That infamous moment. So no, I don't like to cite Patrick Moore on, as an authority on any of this. But anyway, it's a good point that yes, uh, there are people who have seen through this fraud um, from its very inception. Um, but the the real point here is this is this is not just a singular fraud it is the fraud that keeps on giving and expanding and connecting with other parts of the fraud to create the global government that we know that this is aiming at and it's doing so in a 
in a way that looks spontaneous and organic. Oh, all of these different journals are just banding together to call on the UN. You're not doing enough, UN. Won't you save us? And even more specifically, it gets more specific than that. If you go to the actual British Medical Journal article that's being referenced here, of course, they say human health is damaged directly by both the climate crisis, as the journals have described in previous editorials, and the nature crisis, because there's a biodiversity nature crisis that they're trying to ball into this. And we have seen the development of this particular propaganda angle over the past few years. It's a health crisis. The global warming, or whatever they're calling it these days, is a health crisis. And we remember a couple of years back, there was the doctor in uh, British Columbia who diagnosed, a, uh, I think it was a heart attack, as due to climate change. Remember that nonsense. So this has been in the works for a few years, but what is the payoff to this? Why are they trying to frame this as a health crisis? Oh, that's right. As it says later on in this editorial, the risk combined with the severe impacts on health already occurring means that the World Health Organization should declare the indivisible climate and nature crisis as a global health emergency. The three preconditions for WHO to declare a situation to be a public health emergency of international concern, where have I heard the PHEIC before, are that it is serious, sudden, unusual, or unexpected, which sounds like four to me. But anyway, um, carries implications for public health beyond... Oh, semicolon, carries implications for public health beyond the affected state's national border and may require in immediate international action. Climate change se seems to fulfill all these conditions. Well, it seems to. While the accelerating climate change and loss of biodiversity are not sudden or unexpected, they are certainly serious and unusual. Hence, we call for WHO to make this declaration before or at the 77th World Health Assembly in May 2024. Well, hey, I I just fell off the turnip truck yesterday, but I have seen a few of Corbett's re uh, recent podcasts on this. What does he talk about May 2024 World Health? Oh, that's right. That's where they're going to unveil the IHR amendments and the pandemic. Well, they're calling it an agreement now. But anyway, they're going to unveil that on the world. Yay! So now it all comes together. It's the climate crisis, the nature crisis, the health crisis. It's forming the seed for global government. Won't somebody save us? UN, WHO, please save us with your wonderful globalist institutions. And lo and behold, now we have the latest edition of the negotiate the proposal for the negotiating text of the WHO pandemic agreement, which just dropped a few days ago. I hope people have had a chance to read through it. It is not long and it is not that complicated, but it is extremely important. So I will link up the text of it. But hey, good news for the TikTok Zoomer generation in the crowd. Um, if you can't handle a 30-page document, well, there's a two-page summary that does a good job of getting to the uh, the nitty-gritty of it um, that's posted up on Merrill Nass's Substack, describing the WHO's proposed pandemic treaty and interna international health regulation amendments and identifying specific problems in the amendments. So there, there's a nice two-page summary for you if you need that. But yes, this is all converging on... May 2024, the World Health Assembly, they are trying to cement in the global government, and they are going to use any generated or perceived crisis to do so, and this is just another example of it. I'm sure by May 2024 here in the States, we'll be super distracted because it's going to get really close to America's next top president, 2024. We'll, we'll be surely embroiled into that. 
and won't have time to notice anything about worldwide treaties. Note, again, I think, I think I've made this point on New World Next Week episodes, editorials, op-ed pieces, those are really the, 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 the action, it seems like. Ever since, ever since Orange Man made them discover fake news suddenly, things are more emotion-based, more opinion-based. Facts and, and truth, nobody needs that stuff. I can't find it since back in the day, back in those days post-Trump when everybody was freaking out. It was Teen Vogue, Teen Vogue magazine that said, we're going to really sort of refocus what we do and use more emotion-based articles and things to, to, again, to brainwash the already pretty brainwashed public. Some of our colleagues, James, back in Portland that were with us in leading the anti-GMO and the anti-fluoride fights back in Portland, how much you want to bet, don't bet that they are all on board with the worldwide pharmaceutical takeover. And again, what happened to my body, my choice? I guess that's an old fuddy-duddy thing. Our third and final story, James, how does this fit into the New World Order scheme? Johnson & Johnson mulls third bankruptcy filing as they face 50,000-plus baby powder cancer lawsuits. Grabbing this from Fortune.com. And again, yes, everything we say is always included down in the show notes to continue the research for yourself. Johnson & Johnson faces at least 18 jury trials over the next year tied to claims of tainted talc in its iconic baby powder, prompting the company to consider a third bankruptcy filing in hopes of fostering a global settlement. Because much like J.P. Morgan Chase, when you can settle for $75 million, people don't have to find out about all your dealings with Epstein, and it doesn't go in those pesky court records, which generally last forever. They can just settle out of court, and it's all, all good to go. J&J has tout cases set for trial everywhere from Pennsylvania to California between November and December 2024, some of which involve consolidated claims by more than a half dozen plaintiffs, according to their lawyers. Those trials were scheduled after a judge in July threw out a Johnson & Johnson unit's latest Chapter 11 case aimed at resolving all current and future tout claims. Since 2016, J&J has been hit with at least $570 million in damage awards over talc-related cancer claims and paid out at least $2.5 billion in settlements, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. With all those trials staring them in the face, of course they want their unit to run back into bankruptcy, said Carl Tobias, a University of Richmond professor who teaches about mass torts and has followed the talc cases. They are playing for time and to avoid shelling out the hundreds of millions of dollars on lawyers to defend all those trials. After another bankruptcy filing by J&J's LTL management subsidiary, another bankruptcy filing by LTL would give the company the opportunity to ask a judge to put a hold on all the trials while the company once again negotiates with lawyers representing talc victims. Judges did that in the first two Chapter 11 filings by the LTL unit, but those cases were thrown out. LTL is basically, literally, the shell company they're hoping can take all that blame. Monsanto? That doesn't even exist anymore. Blackwater? What? That's not a thing. Examining the Third, Kirk, Third Circuit's decision in LTL management, where does J&J go from here? February 8th, 2023, the American Bankruptcy ABI.org. 
on direct appeal. This gets very lawyery. On direct appeal, the Third Circuit on January 30th reversed the bankruptcy court and directed the dismissal of the petition that had been filed by LTL Management LLC, the subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson created to file in Chapter 11 to deal with talc and asbestos claims arising from the sale of Johnson's baby powder. In related Rockefeller medicine and eugenics-obsessed technocracy news, Bear Santo hit with a $175 million verdict against Roundup, grabbing this from the always indispensable sustainablepulse.com. A Philadelphia jury hit Bayer Monsanto with a $175 million verdict in favor of a cancer patient who claimed the company failed to warn about known carcinogens in its best-selling herbicide, Roundup. Glyphosate, the world's most widely used weed-killing chemical and is the active ingredient in Roundup, it is linked to a number of health problems from cancer and neurological diseases to endocrine disruption and birth defects. James? All right, excellent. Well, I don't have a lot to add to the story. I guess the question that you started with there, how does this play into the globalist agenda? I guess it remains to be seen depending how these court cases play out and whether LTL can be effectively file its third bankruptcy and blah, blah, blah. But I do note with some satisfaction, actually, that if if someone were ever to go back and compile sort of the list of all of the stories that we've ever covered in Neural Next Week, I would say that the Johnson & Johnson baby powder cancer case and the uh, the Bayer Santo glyphosate case, they, they would be up there in the rankings, I think, because we have talked about this and covered the developments in this story for many years. And I'm proud to say that because I think more people should be paying attention to this, um, at the very least, because regardless of what happens in the justice system. Um, at any rate, it exposes these companies for what they are. And I think it's a good leverage tool for people who uh, would otherwise trust everything that big pharma, trust the science guys. Yeah. The, you mean the, the baby powder cancer science or the glyphosate cancer science? Which science is that exactly? Anyway, so I think it's a good story to cover. Just as an example of that, I will throw in some examples of our previous coverage of this. For example, in April of 2016, I wrote an editorial, everything is super swell at Johnson & Johnson, folks. Just don't mention the baby powder cancer. And uh, back in 2020, we were covering this on New World Next Week. Uh, and, uh, 2021, uh, there's another one. These are just some, some of the ones that I pulled up. So I'll throw them in the show notes if people want to go back and follow some of our coverage on this. And we will continue to cover it right up to whatever its justice system conclusion inevitably is. I think, the, I think the proof has been in the pudding all along, James. I am so proud of the work that we've done. Remember, back in 2008, the first time we ever really joined forces was to talk about the food world order. Why are chemical pharmaceutical companies running the agri-food business? This seems rather strange. And again, I saw it all play out at the grocery store in Portland back in the 2000s and then fighting against the fluoride and the anti-GMO and the same people we thought were with us and then suddenly weren't. Again, I think the, the proof is in the pudding. And that is episode 533 of New World Next Week. NewWorldNextWeek.com supports our work with USBs, DVDs, T-shirts, hats, and you can hear the exclusive, unpublished audio from these New World Next Week episodes premiering after my Thursday morning shows at 10 a.m. Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. And speaking of time, James, we are turning the clocks back one hour this weekend. And since Japan does not, I will yet again be the only one having to adjust my New World Next Week shooting schedule as I've done for 14 years. 
at least it's not new. <laughs> and yeah. on a final note, for all of those people who were uh, wondering if James Evan Pilato had died or something, and I, I heard from many of you, <laughs> uh, let's just let people know, James has a calendar. If you go to MediaMonarchy.com slash calendar, you can see when New World Next Week and when his uh, show is on and when it's off and all of that. So you don't have to worry. <laughs> I, 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 I pledge. I don't make many promises because you never know. But I pledge if James M. Pilato suddenly dies, I, I will at least mention that in a video or <laughs> something, you know, at least as a side mention. Oh, by the way, never New World Next Week again. James is dead. And <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> anyway, so thank you for your concern. But MediaMonarchy.com slash calendar is where you want to go. That's the place. Uh, man, I, I, I appreciate that that heartfelt sentiment, James. <laughs> um Unlike the last time we wrapped up these episodes, and I was even ready to interrupt and be like, actually, I'm going to go out of town and we won't be on. We will be on next week, unless you've got well, something I don't know about. You never know. I, I We're planning to be on next week. But if we're not, we're probably not dead. <laughs> but you can always probably. check the calendar. Make sure that <laughs> your next of kin puts it on your calendar when you die. <laughs> James is dead. <laughs> All right, buddy. There it is. Episode 533. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you. Take care. You too.